Welcome, listeners, to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love. I'm your host, Richard Osser, and my guest on today's podcast is my friend Carl Beckstrand. Welcome to the podcast, Carl. Thank you, Richard. Happy to be here. Uh, As I usually do, I'll introduce Carl just a little bit. He is in his mid-50s. He identifies as bisexual. He's active Latter-day Saint, lives in Salt Lake City. He's a writer. He has written um, 27 books, and we are going to talk about book number 26 in this podcast. Um, He grew up in San Jose, um, served a mission in Chile, and whenever I meet somebody that served a mission in Chile, for some reason, I always ask them about earthquakes. And sure enough, tell us about the earthquake. Oh, I was sitting in church. It wasn't really church because it was a house, but the uh, the wall behind me started to bang on my head. <laughs> so you had I don't know if it, I don't know if every mission in Chile's had an earthquake, but the ones I've talked to have sort of been through that. So thanks for your service in that country. Um, Carl is not married. Um, he has just going to share his story as being a bisexual Latter Day Saint and. Um, Tell our listeners the name of your book that we're going to talk about. It's called More Than Two Paths, uh, Biblical Secrets to Living Your Most Fulfilling LGBTQ Life. And um, we will link to it in the show notes. So if you want to get a copy of the book, this will be an introductory podcast so that you can learn more about the book. And Carl's going to share some of his story um, that's not only in the book, but will be in the podcast. So is that okay for an introduction, Carl? Sure. I will just turn it over to you. Great. So, yes, as was mentioned, I grew up in San Jose, California, which I think is paradise. Um, Youngest of four kids, was exposed to uh, sexual activity at a very young age, uh, eight years old, and um, was sexually active before my mission on and off over the years, Um, and uh, really had kind of a miraculous intervention, divine intervention that allowed me to to go on my mission and and live the law of chastity as a missionary. We and maybe I don't want to interrupt you, but first thanks for being so honest and vulnerable right off the bat in minute two of the podcast. <laughs> um talk about I assume you were a a victim and a survivor. I don't know if that was the whole story or gra- gradually shifted into choice at some older mature age before your mission. Do you want to talk about that or not? Sure. Um, Because I think our listeners would all say that somebody at age eight that's sexually active, um, they're up in a victim situation. Sure. It wasn't a typical victim situation because it was a peer who showed it to me. But looking back, that peer shouldn't have known those things. So that peer was probably abused by an adult. Um, But yes, I was introduced to sex before I knew what sex was. It was, it was being sexual without knowing what sex was. Um, and, um, yeah, I didn't have, um, tons of partners as a child, but I was very active sexually. And I remember as a youth, um, cruising, basically going out looking for sex. And, um, when it was apparent that that was going to happen with a man, um, someone not my age, uh, I remember thinking, I don't think I really want this. I think what I would really like is to be held. But at that point, I felt kind of obligated um, under the circumstances to, to go ahead and be sexual. Um, you know, youth, the mind of a youth isn't very developed. Thanks for just clarifying that and sharing a little bit more. 
in a very appropriate way. I'll just keep letting you tell your story. Okay. So, uh, yeah, I, I didn't really have the skills, the ability to, uh, I mean, for a child to, to deal with sex, is, it's pretty difficult. It's an adult <laughs> thing. And so for me to be trying to um, break away from that was quite difficult. But um, I feel like there was much grace um, for me to qualify to go on a mission to, go through the repentance process and then extreme amounts of grace uh, on my mission. Because when I was in the MTC, a counselor who knew of my history challenged me not to be sexual with myself or others for the whole two years. And I committed to do that. And I learned um, that when we commit, um, divine providence can help us do what we're not capable of doing. And so I served a great mission, didn't have any troubles with the law of chastity. probably the, the turning point for my life is to find that um, not necessarily that I had the power to overcome sex, but that God has all power. And if we will partner with him, we can accomplish whatever he wants us to do. Love that. Thank you. Sure. Um, g- going back home after my mission, I was soon back into sex again. It was, um, I, had, I had taken credit, you know, I thought, oh, okay, I guess I'm strong now. I guess I don't have to worry about this anymore. And so it was immediately, not immediately, but very soon back into old habits and then felt helpless because um, I realized that it wasn't my prayers and scripture study that was keeping me chaste, that, that it, was, it was God. And so I spent several years trying to figure out how do I qualify to have God's divine grace intervene so that I am not um, breaking the law of chastity anymore. And um, those were years of lots of learning, you know, um, of course, praying and scripture reading and fasting and church attendance are important, but um, I realized that um, God is not going to take away certain needs he's given us, like for food or for oxygen. We have social needs, but what he wants is for us to learn how to meet those social needs healthfully. and God, God is capable, I'm sure, of meeting all my social needs, but he, he made it very clear to me early on, I am not going to meet your human social needs. You need to find how to do that. Love that. So, and, and that's something that's taken me decades to really comprehend uh, because I would go in and out of um, closing myself off from people. I, I dated lots of women over the years. Um, and so it was kind of interesting to be going to church, acting out sexually with men and dating women and reading my book of Mormon every day and <laughs> trying to, to do what's right and, and figure out what is, what is God's will for me and how do I, how do I accomplish it? Over, uh, several years, I slowly gained, um, sobriety or, or, um, a place where I was not acting out compulsively. Uh, I went to uh, a group, had a bishop say, you know, you need to go to a counselor, you need to go to a group and um, talk to people. The big obstacle there was, how do I, I mean, the people that would most understand my situation are people like me. And it's like an alcoholic going to a bar for treatment. (laughs) You know, it's like, how do I interact with people like me without acting out sexually? Because I was compulsive. But I found that um, 
as I shared, as I was really honest about my thoughts and my activities, um, again, there was grace. It was a huge leap for me because prayer and scripture study are great. And, but Heavenly Father wanted me to be brutally honest and to be vulnerable. And not just once. He wanted it to be a part of my life. It's, well, it's part of the gospel, to be honest, you know, and to share our faults. So that helped me um, to attain a level of, of sobriety. Now, it's interesting. You per, a person can be um, celibate and not chaste. A person can be sober and not healthful, not healthy. And so that took decades more for me to figure out um, what is healthful, what is healthful relating with men and women. And of course, I think everybody's still learning at how to do that. But um, yeah, years after achieving um, sobriety, I um, came close to getting married to a woman. And um, toward the end, I started to have doubts and I was praying hard. And the answer that came to me was, Carl, it's your choice. I really felt like Heavenly Father wasn't saying, there's the right answer. You better get this right. I, I just felt like he was saying, really, it's whatever you want to do. So I chose not to get married. But at the same time, I was terrified of going back to compulsive sexual activity. And uh, that fear caused me to make a bad choice. And that was to become kind of a recluse. I got sick on my mission um, and ever since have had... Um, health issues, you know, so my energy isn't great. My health isn't great. And I basically told God, I don't have the energy to chase women anymore. Um, so I was by default kind of a recluse. I still had my family and a couple of close straight friends, but my straight friends were married with busy growing families. So it was not a healthy situation for me. And it was about 10 years. Wow. Um, I was able to keep my temple recommend, keep my covenants, you know, stay active in church, but I was not meeting my human social needs the way God wanted me to. So about four years ago, God kind of yanked my ear and said, you need to go out and meet men. I thought, well, that's, that can't be right. That can't be God because God knows I'm, I've been compulsive sexually with men, but I felt like, um, he wanted me to go out and find how to relate in healthful ways with, with men and women. So I, um, I started looking online for platonic social sites where people didn't have a sexual agenda. And, and even there, people still sometimes do have sexual agendas, so you kind of have to vet. Um, but I've, I found a, a person um, who told me he wasn't gay, he wasn't going to try anything sexual with me but that he would try to um, connect, you know, and try to have a healthful relationship. So um, on our very first meeting, we did. We connected in, in a way that I had always wanted, but had never experienced. In all the years I was sexual, even when I, was, when I felt like I was in love with a guy, I never felt a connection, a deep connection, until I tried to connect with a man non-sexually. And, and then it happened again with someone else. And then again with someone else. And I realized the common factor in those three scenarios with these three different men where I felt deep connection 
and it, and it lasted was that there was no sexual agenda. And so that's kind of why I wrote this book is because I felt like Heavenly Father, he wasn't withholding this nugget of truth from me, but I had to discover it. He couldn't just say, by the way, if you will keep the law of chastity and relate with men in healthful ways, you will find the connection you want, which you've always wanted. But that's been the case. And I, and I look at um, King David and Jonathan in the Bible, and I don't think they were gay, but they loved each other intensely and says in some ways more than how they loved their wives. And I think that's a really important distinction that both heterosexual and um, LGBTQ people need to understand is that there are many kinds of love and we shouldn't be comparing them. My experience is that male love, and I assume love between women is the same, can be uniquely deep and enriching and lasting if we honor Heavenly Father's guidance on relationships. Like listeners, this most podcasts are unique. This is a unique story. I'm glad you are sharing it. Um, ben Chilotti, in one of his Facebook posts, and for listeners, he's gay Latter-day Saint, um, active in the church. He talked about, you know, I don't talk about my sexual orientation. I just talk about my orientation now and divide it into different categories, emotional, spiritual, sexual. Mm-hmm. And he's broadened his definition of what it means to be gay in a broader... And when I think of my relationship with my wife after all these years of marriage, I think of it that way, you know, and in, in we connect in multiple ways in our relationship. And I realize you're not a, in a married, committed relationship, so I don't want to compare, you know, your experience to mine. But I, I think that's a really wonderful piece of learning. And I love the way it's sort of come to you based on you sort of figuring it out versus heavenly. It seems like that's the pattern for personal revelation. Yeah. Often is it's us doing some work to figure things out and being open to promptings. Yeah. And I don't think I was capable of this kind of relating as a 20 something. Um, I think perhaps with someone who had my experience and could have, could have guided me, but I didn't know where to find that. I didn't even know to look for it. (laughs) You talk about compulsive sexual behavior. I think that's the term. But as I look at um, Carl across the table as we're doing this podcast live, you talk about it without bringing shame into the equation. You're just factually talking about this as part of my life. Mm. And yeah, it's a sin. And yeah, yeah, I want to get it uh, in the rearview mirror. But I love I like the way you talk about it without shame. You didn't look down as you talked to me about this. And I talk about the shame that comes with this and, you know, and sort of getting the shame out of the equation that helps you move forward. If, if that's true. I I had tons of shame. I think I was raised in a shame based home. I think our culture is shame based. Um, But I learned that shame is not from God. Guilt can be a prompt from your whole, from the Holy spirit to repent. Shame is a societal thing, or it can be the result of ignoring the Holy Spirit over time, but um, shame is not a positive thing at all. It doesn't help. Someone said, um, you cannot shame yourself into change. Shame will only bring you down. It won't help you improve. Well, how were you able to stay in the church when you were not living church teachings? Because a lot of our culture, a lot of, you're not, you're, you're, 
I don't want to use vocabulary that's not in your mind right now, but I'm this, look at this double life I'm living. Yeah. I'm going to church on Sunday. I'm dating women. I'm having all this stuff going on. It's not consistent with church teachings. I don't belong here. I, God hates me. I shouldn't even be here. I don't know if that went into your mind, but because there may be listeners that feel the same way. They're just, they're not keeping church standards. They feel like they shouldn't be there. Somehow, what would, it's kind of two questions. What would you say to those people? And how did you manage to stay going to church during those times? I did. I had all those feelings about not being worthy and not being, um, I shouldn't be among these people. These are saints. I'm not. Um, but I had, uh, you know, it's funny in the LGBTQ community, especially in Utah, they talk about Bishop Roulette and how um, depends on your bishop, whether you get fellowshiped or whatever. And that may be true, but I tend to attribute that. Hopefully the bishops are, are in tune with the spirit, but I attribute it to a bishop who was in, in tune with the spirit. I had a bishop that was very in tune. He was very loving. Um, so helpful and encouraging. And that's what I needed. God knew that's what I needed. And that's the bishop I got. And he's the one who got me to a counselor. He's the one who got me to go to a group. My, my biggest terror was to talk about the secret that I had. And, and he got me to do it. And that changed my life. Changed my life. I could interact with other gay men, talk openly about my faults, and not act out sexually. So it was very important that I had that bishop and had that experience. What prompted you to talk to that bishop? I have been blessed with um, a certainty of the existence of God all my life. I can't think of a time where I didn't know he was real. And so just that one little gem of knowledge in the back of my mind throughout my youth was the thing that made me keep going to church and keep trying because I knew he was real. I knew I wanted what he offered. And so I was willing to do whatever, whatever I had to. And I was, I was terrified of being excommunicated as a child. I mean, I confessed at 12 years old to my bishop my first time. I was terrified of being excommunicated. I thought, well, I've never heard of a child being excommunicated, but maybe no child's done what I have. I love that you talked to your bishop, and I love the way bishop handled that, and I love your relationship with God. And I, my feeling, listeners, is that you know, blessings from God are conditional, but love from God isn't. That it's always there. Yeah. And we may not feel like, based on what's going on in our lives, we're worthy of God's love, and our natural human tendency is to is to turn away from God and say, oh, he doesn't, I don't want to be around God. And he's, he's sad about me and I'll go figure this out and maybe come back to God. It sounds like, I don't know if you did much of that, but it sounds like you stay connected to God, even with all this stuff going on. Again, having a servant of God um, represent empathy and love and acceptance did a, a huge amount of changing my mind as to the nature of God, as to seeing him not as a condemning, angry, punishing person, but as, oh, he must be like this bishop because this is the nicest, Christ, most Christ-like person I've ever known. God can't be worse than him. That's cool. I do think we get feelings about our heavenly parents based on role model earthly people, our own parents, our priesthood leaders, and 
a local re- leader. And I do think that that's sometimes how we develop our initial feelings about our heavenly parents. And I love that. I love what you just said. Thank you. I, you know, compulsion. Do you tell me the vocabulary used? Compulsion, compulsory yeah. sexual activity. Sometimes I go as far as to say I was a, I'm a sex addict. You know, um, why would you use the addict term? And is that well, some people quibble over that term, so I tend to say compulsive. Um, but there's there's a chemical process, just like in drug use. In, in shopping or gambling or sex or food addiction, there's a chemical process in the brain that can cause someone to do what they don't want to do. I mean, I know that's hard for non-addicts to believe. I mean, I can remember saying, I am not going to that gay hookup place today. And then I'd be there that same day. It's just something that just happened. And, you know, I would take steps, but my steps were insufficient. And that's something important I needed to learn that everything I could do was still not enough. And that's really important to know because we need our Savior. We need what He offers us. I've, I had a, when I was serving as a bishop and working with some of the youth that were working through really complicated stuff sort of outside my skill set, I, without a name, I talked to a therapist about, you know, to help me because this is kind of a blind spot for me. I didn't try to become a therapist. Mm. It's like your bishop sent you to a qualified therapist, but sometimes I take a situation and she taught me the iceberg concept, which is often, and help us understand if this works, often the behavior that's above the waterline to really understand what's going on, you've got to get to the bottom of the iceberg. And the bottom yeah. of the iceberg is often the need for connection. Um, it's, it's not usually somebody that said one day at age eight, how can I disappoint my heavenly parents? <laughs> this right. is what I'm going to do. And, and continue to do that up into your mission. It's, it doesn't say it's not a sin. I'm not saying it's not a sin, but it gives more context to why some people get in these patterns and and more skills to help them instead of just white knuckling it and say mm-hmm. stop. Why you know and shaming comments about your past that maybe just add to the bottom of the iceberg feelings about yourself. I, so I don't know if that resonates with you. It helped humanize people for me that are working through complex things and to give them more grace and understanding and maybe better tools for them to get where you are. Sure. Um, in fact, I had an experience a couple of years back that really brought that home for me. Um, there was a gay gentleman that I didn't find particularly attractive, but I could tell he really needed some touch and affection. He needed someone to put his arms around him. And so I did that. And while I was holding him, I felt intense love for him. And I thought, well, this is unusual because I don't really find him that attractive. What is this that I'm feeling? And the more I thought about it, I realized that it wasn't, what, it wasn't my feelings. It was what God feels for him that I felt. And as soon as I realized that God felt that way, that intensely about this brother, I suddenly felt that same love for myself from God. You know, I knew, I had known all my life that God loved me, but because I felt like the, my attraction to men was unacceptable to him, I hadn't allowed myself to feel his love because I thought he didn't approve of part of me. And I realized that if God can love this gay man that I'm holding this much, then what does he feel for me? And then I finally felt it. 
Um, keep sharing what's on your mind or in your outline or in your book. I want to sure. make sure we get to everything you want to share with our listeners. Sure. Um, it's a great segment. Thank you, Carl. Thank you. It's, um, I, I keep learning. I keep learning from other people as I continue my journey. Uh, something else important that I learned was I told you about three people, three men that I had established a good connection with and continue to have great connections with. Uh, one day I was talking to a friend, another friend, about all of this. And I told him, you know, I love this guy so much. And you know what? I love this other guy so much. And I love three men this way. Am I an alien? Am I a freak? And my friend said to me, Carl, you have learned how men love each other. It's a different kind of love. You, you should stop comparing it to heterosexual love. Same-sex love, whether you're gay or straight, is unique and has its own unique aspects. And I learned that um, there's no limit to the number of people I can have deep, intense, lasting relationships with. It's a gift from God. I did come across a, a, a wrinkle in that. Um, if someone puts their arms around you for the first time in your life and you feel total acceptance and this deep bonding and union and connection, your first impulse might be to partner with that person because you think, oh, at last I found my dream, what I'm looking for. Um, I, didn't ha I didn't have um, a drive to, to partner with anyone because it hadn't been my lifelong wish, but I had other people feel that with me, want to partner with me, want me to move in with them. And I'm not saying that I wouldn't at some point, but it would have to be someone who understood my lifestyle and that I would never be sexual with them. But it was kind of a dilemma to, to encounter certain men and have a connection with them, a great connection, but have them want to partner with the caveat that they wanted my heart exclusively. And that was a challenge. It's like, well, how do I reconcile this? Um, and I, it's another reason I wrote the book. It's to help people to see better how same-sex relationships are unique. They're their own thing, whether you're straight or gay. I mean, the apostles have talked about how much they love each other. And in some ways, it's more than what they feel for their wives. So bonds between people of the same sex can be very intense. And yes, someone who's gay um, might have had a lifelong goal to, to move in with somebody and 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 be partners for the rest of their lives. And I'm not saying that's necessarily bad, but I think what's more common, at least with men, is that we establish deep connection. And if we're not sexual, it lasts and lasts. And that, that can happen over and over again. And if, we, and if we love a second or a third man, it doesn't mean we don't love the first one or that, that we love the first one less. It's just male love. It's the way male bonding works. Really interesting. Um, I learn a lot of new things on these podcasts. One of the things I wrote down is, I mean, I'm going back, I always go back to being a YSA bishop. And if I'd met you and you were talking like this, I think my gut reaction would be, Carl, you know, as you're connecting with men, even in a non-sexual way, you're on the slippery slope to messing up. But I think I'd, after what you've just shared, I think I'd say maybe not connecting with men um, is more dangerous. Is more dangerous, yes. and is actually the slippery slope to messing up. And I'm not saying that's a universal thing for all people that aren't straight. 
but I think you've learned so much about you. Mm-hmm. And that's so that's why I'm so glad you're on the podcast because you're not 10 years old talking about this. You're in your <laughs> mid 50s. You've been on the road so long that it's just, and every story is unique that I, yeah. So I, at this point, I'd just say, I'm not your priest leader, but I'd say, I trust you. Well, thank you. Um, that's what I would say if I were your priest leader, Carl. I trust you. Thank you. Well, it, it's, it's very important to learn this because, as you mentioned, white knuckling doesn't work. And so I think the less you meet your social needs in healthful ways, the more likely you are to meet them in unhealthy ways. And it doesn't meet them. I mean, sex doesn't meet the real need. The, the libido is interesting. It's, um, I think it's a gauge for how well we're meeting our social needs. I no longer battle my libido. I still have one. Um, and I'm happy about that. But I don't, I'm not in this struggle anymore. You know, if a man puts his arms around me, I'm not, I'm not trying to decide whether or not I'm going to be sexual anymore. I know I'm not going to be sexual with them because it's so nice to have the relationship that I have. It's so deep and it doesn't evaporate. I think sexual, sexual euphoria um, is so brief. And um, when we mistake sexual euphoria for love, we pretty much guarantee that we're going to fall out of love with whoever we're feeling love for, quote unquote, love for. So I get, I still get propositioned for sex once in a while. And my honest answer is why would I, why would I go back to that life that never, never once met my needs, never made me feel a connection. Even when I felt like I was in love with a man, sex never cemented or bonded us the way I had anticipated. And yet the bonding that I wanted happens all the time now because I don't have a sexual agenda. Interesting. I think about our culture that allows women to have these sort of friendships. My, you know, my wife has lots of friends and they spend a lot of time together and it's obviously not sexual. And our culture creates, if, if a bunch of women travel together, people aren't wondering, are they sexually active? And if, but guys are kind of the culture, you know, we're bros and we do kind of, we don't do the things you talk about and usually, and just be, you know, and, and I wondered if that keeps bros from connecting in the way that the culture is not allowing them to in an appropriate way. I'm not, yeah. it's just, I'm not saying how to do it. Like, I'm not saying listeners be like Carl, but I'm saying, you know, maybe there's so many cultural expectations that some men are trying to fit in to this cultural expectation and belonging is just being who they are. Mm. And you seem to have matured and be very self-aware of how it works for you. Well, thank you. I don't think I'm, even among straight men, I don't think I'm that weird. <laughs> I, <laughs> and I, I didn't want to make you say No, 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 I, I didn't get that feeling from you. But I wanted to explain, um, I think our culture over the last 200 years has lost um, what same-sex, re- the value of same-sex relationships, whether you're gay or straight. Um, and I think our culture now has both men and women believing that when I heterosexual couple marries, she can have all the girlfriends she wants, or she can have bosom girlfriends she shares everything with, but the man should be content, content to have her be his world. And that's not helpful. And that's not God's plan. It's, you know, all of history before the past 200 years was men connecting with men on a regular basis, intensely. I mean, you, you look at films of old times where the men hang out, hung out with the men and the women hung out with men, with the women, excuse me, 
And it wasn't all cultural norms. It was because the men enjoyed the company of men and the women enjoyed the company of women. And I think the best thing you can do for your heterosexual relationship is to have good friends of your own sex. Interesting. I mean, we still hang out as men. We go to church together and we go to the games together and we go hunting together. I don't, does that count? Yes. I think people connect in different ways. And I don't expect people to all connect the way I do, but it's interesting. I, in one of my um, 12-step addiction meetings, I met a straight man with a pornography problem. He's into women. He could not you know, stop obsessing about women. And I um, became his friend. And he knew my story, of course. And um, after a while, I told him about um, how I like to connect with men, you know, and, and it involves affection. And he said, Carl, never in a million years will you and I ever connect that way. Sorry. But a couple months later, I was at his house. I was helping him move something into his garage. And we sat down after we'd moved it. And he put his arm around me. So I put my arm around him. And then he started weeping. And that's when I realized that every man, regardless of sexual orientation, needs affection, needs someone who understands them, who is willing to accept them for what they are, for who they are, wherever they are. And it was kind of interesting, this, this ultra straight man who said that he would never connect with me affectionately started inviting me over to sit with his arm around me. And it was, I mean, regularly he would have me come over, sometimes with his wife there chatting with us, but um, it became very important to him. And I think uh, if, if you're a straight man and, and you don't have affection with your buddies, um, maybe try to find someone who's willing. Um, I wonder if it helped him um, over, overcome his porn use. I Is hope it, so. I don't, I think of, G, I'm just open to, our cultures to find role models for men. Um, this isn't a change in doctrine. It's just looking inward at our culture and, and have we created these, these expectations that at times some men fit and it works and other men, the culture expectations allow them not to, to do the things they do to be fully healthy mm-hmm. and within our doctrine. I think of Christ, there's a picture of Christ over your shoulder in our room. And I, I don't, I don't want to project. I know Christ and I mean, I love Christ and I want to do everything I can to know him, but I was not there during his ministry to know if he put his arm around a fellow apostle. Well, I, I have an answer to that. And, but I, I can see him doing that. So talk about Christ. If you, if you recall the Last Supper, John oh. the Beloved felt comfortable enough to lay his head in Christ's chest during the supper. Well, they're all, everybody's there looking. John felt perfectly at ease just to lay his head on Christ's chest. And so now not everyone may be comfortable with that. And maybe your best way of bonding with your buddy is to go hunting or to play ball or to go running together or golf. But um, don't rule out the possibility of, of affection as well. Wow. And then I think if we were in a, you know, that would not probably work very well in culture to see one leader. Um, that's really interesting. Thank you. And then I think of Christ washing the feet. Yeah. Um, the symbolism of that and, and perhaps the affection, the connection that created in that beautiful, humble, I don't 
quite know what vocabulary to use. I was going to use ordinance, but it's not an ordinance, but it's just this beautiful experience. Actually, I think it is an ordinance, an ordinance that yeah. the apostles still do. So, um, Gosh, what was I going to say about that? Uh, can't think of it. Yeah. Oh, yes. Uh, more than one... Um, really, more than one church leader has told me, in fact, my stake president read this book and afterward he said, you know, my, my love for my two counselors is in some ways more deep than what I feel for my wife. And he loves his wife dearly. And he's not the only church leader who's told me that. And I think it's just a different kind of love. And there are many kinds of love. Yeah. I'm a little uncomfortable with comparison love though. I mean, I'll be honest when, Someone says, I love somebody more than my wife. My natural instrument say, well, that's maybe a different type of love, but my long-term love, and I don't think you were saying that, but maybe you can clarify that. My long-term love for my spouse still exceeds any other relationship. Sure. In fact, the way I think he said it was, in some ways, more than I love my wife. Okay. So, Yeah. Um, more thoughts about your book or more thoughts on your outline? I've been asking a lot of questions. I want to make sure we get to the things you want to say, Carl. Sure. Um, yeah, I, I, just to reiterate what we've been talking about is I would encourage any person to not compare their relationships, whether it's with your friend, your neighbor, a family member, a spouse. Don't compare. Many gay men marry um, a woman and many gay women marry a straight man, a mixed, mixed orientation marriage. And I think those, those couples are vastly undercounted. And I think um, some, at least men, I don't talk to a lot of lesbians, but men that I've spoken with who've been married to women or, or who still are married to women come to a place in their life where if they're not meeting their male needs, they get to a place where something has to change. And sometimes they'll cheat on their wife. Sometimes they'll talk to their wife about it, try to figure out what the action plan is. Sometimes they'll divorce. Sometimes they don't. And I think we have to respect those choices and, and not presume that the ones that don't divorce are unhappy. Um, yes, if your only touch in your life has been with your wife, and suddenly you have an embrace with a man and it's electric and something you've never felt before, recognize that it's a different kind of love. It's not a better kind of love. And it doesn't mean that what you have with your wife isn't worthwhile. That's very thoughtful. More, more stuff like that you want to share. <laughs> Gosh. Um, I find that... Um, even among gay couples, the ones that really last and are united are ones that discover these principles. Um, it's uh, even a gay couple that has had cheating or, or who knows what kind of crisis. I believe that um, most relationships can be repaired. If they're abusive, of course, you don't want to stay in them. But I believe that um, all of us are mortals and everyone makes mistakes. Um, and perhaps the way to repair your same-sex relationship that may be on the rocks is to try to connect non-sexually. <laughs> I find that it's 
the most bonding thing that I've ever done. Really thoughtful. I saw on social media, and I'm on social media listeners, I don't know if that's a good idea. <laughs> There's a lot of drama on social media, but I don't quite know how to tell this story, but it was somebody who was gay and, and sexually active, not married, and then he just was public about it, um, said, I'm I'm stopping being sexually, I've stopped being sexually active and my mental health is significantly improved. Mm-hmm. I'm still gay. <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't even think this person was in the church, but it was interesting for me just to read that. and. Yeah, he connected um, kind of on a short-term basis, but he recognized it was not good for his long-term emotional health. And it improved when he pulled away from that, which is consistent with some of the things. Talk to your, I, I, I still want you to talk, but I'd love you to talk to your, to teenagers, because you were once in a tough spot, um, pre-mission, not following church teachings. If there's people that are not following teachings, and you've kind of already done this, what would you say to somebody that's sexually active before their mission right now? And what would, what, what would you say to them? What would you say to your younger self? Mm. If your younger uh, self, if you could talk to your 16-year-old self right now. <laughs> sure, I've thought about that a lot. But again, I, I do feel that all of my experiences led to me um, publishing this book. I think it was my mission in life to get this book out. Because some of the things I could not have learned any other way. I'm not, I'm not advocating a sinful life to learn. I think we can learn what we need to learn without sinning, but we happen to sin. <laughs> That's just as part of our, our existence. I think for a youth, um, I would tell them that um, your best isn't, is never going to be good enough. Your willpower is never going to be enough. However, that doesn't mean we, we abandon God's standards because God really doesn't know what he's talking about, not only in spiritual matters, but temporal matters and in relationships. I mean, he doesn't give guidance on every tiny little detail of relationships, but the guidance he's given, we should really pay attention to. And it was, it was interesting for me to learn that the law of chastity never once says, do not put your arm around a man. For many years of my life, I thought that was breaking the law of chastity, <laughs> you know, uh, holding hands with a man would, would, was breaking the law of chastity. It doesn't say that, but he has given guidelines. Um, so, uh, two things, our best isn't enough, but we need to do our best and Christ, Christ's grace is sufficient. Um, Christ's grace will not replace our God-given needs for food or oxygen or human relating. But it can help us make them what they're meant to be. And it's certainly discouraging to not be where you want to be from one day to the next. I I have decades to show me that. But um, if we're patient with ourselves, I don't think God loses patience with us. So I think we should allow his attitude about us to be our attitude about us and trust that as we try, Elder Holland says, trying counts with God. As we try, there's more and more grace and we can eventually get to a place where we feel like we're keeping his standards. And that may not even be in this life, but um, 
Heavenly Father has always seen everything. He's, nothing takes him by surprise. So if you have feelings that you think are um, contrary to God's will, recognize that God knew you would have those feelings, and therefore his plan for you has always included those feelings and a way for you, a way to consecrate those feelings for your good one way or another. Great, very wonderful segment. I love what you said about he knew you would have those feelings and the, and the de-shaming you just created for listeners that have feelings that they shame, feel shameful about. I think you normalized having feelings because God knew you'd have those feelings. Mm-hmm. Talk to those that are <laughs> um, recluse right now as sort of a coping strategy. I sure. think you sort of talked about, okay, I, I want to leave the law of chastity, so I'm just going to be alone. Yeah, I'm going to have no connections, and maybe you need to go through that phase, but what would you talk to somebody who's sort of in a, a recluse, I don't know the right vocabulary, hermit, withdrawn, mm-hmm. Separated from society is a coping mechanism. Just as they feel it's their best path forward, or for whatever reason. Sure, um, you know, so many men that I've met and shared affection with have said to me, "This is what I've always wanted, but I never knew where to find it." And I think there's kind of a melancholy there. Uh, it's as if they were saying, "Carl, where were you?" you know, 20 years ago. And I, I want to emphasize that I'm not the only one who's discovered these things. There are many men and women out there who have discovered healthful ways of relating with their own sex. And if someone is feeling isolated, rather by choice, because they are trying to keep the law of chastity or for other reasons, um, isolation is not God's plan for you. But you have to be judicious in your relationships. You don't want to go try to find healthful connection with someone who's out of control themselves or whose, or whose goals don't match yours. Um, it's not impossible to find someone who will respect your personal goals and your boundaries. Uh, you have to have those. You're responsible for those. So definitely set up your own personal boundaries. And, you know, the law of chastity is a great guideline, a great starting point for that. But yes, set up your own personal boundaries. And then um, try to find, I don't know if it's organizations, church, um, 12-step meetings, <laughs> other, other places where you know people aren't going for the purpose of sex. A lot of social sites that try to match people together are, are sexual in orientation. I mean, that's the nature of the site is to have people hook up. So avoid those kinds of things. But you can find people who know what they want, will respect your boundaries, and be able to share affection with you or whatever kind of connection you wish um, in, in helpful ways. And again, it's our social needs are God-given. He's not going to take away our need for food. He's not going to take away our need for people. Um. You're doing a good job. All these questions, listeners, are off the cuff, and um, hopefully maybe some were inspired to help a listener to. Your life is very different than perhaps what you thought it would be. You <laughs> are not married. You're in a church with families. You have, I don't think you have any children. No. 
Um, you taught about eternal families in Chile between earthquakes. <laughs> um, and so you go to church and we talk about eternal families and there's families there. And um, some people that becomes exhausting to them. They just, their life is so different than they thought it would be and so different than others. And I don't want to use language that creates, it's not the, I don't want to say your life's not the ideal, but it may not be the ideal that you thought mm. or that we celebrate in our culture. I think your life is wonderful. How have you navigated that and, and sort of found peace with your life being perhaps different than you thought it might be as a young man growing up? Well, there's two, two parts of that question. I think some people feel very left out for not being married. And I think some people, especially LGBTQ people, feel um, annoyance sometimes that there is such an emphasis on family. Um, and I'm not, I'm not saying the family isn't important. My situation was, um, I think I felt left out a bit, but I have to, if I'm honest, my life is better than I expected. It, I never dreamed that I would have the kind of connection, the depth of connection that I now enjoy with my friends. I, th I thought maybe in the next life, but it's as if God bonked me on the head and say, here's your reward for trying so hard <laughs> and failing, you know, failing and failing, but keep keeping trying. Here's your reward. I'm telling you the secret to male relationships. And the apostles have enjoyed this. David and Jonathan enjoyed this. Christ and John the Beloved enjoyed this. My stake president enjoys this. It's a gift. I'm, I'm not going to compare because I haven't been married, but I, I look at some, mar some married heterosexual couples and I think they have not connected in the ways that I've connected with the people in my life. So I feel at least compensated, greatly compensated. And, and I still have hopes of, of a marriage in the future, whether it's in this life or the next. And you serve in your elders' quorum. Talk about that experience if you want to. Sure. Um, yeah, most of them know about me now. Because um, you've written a book. Because <laughs> I've written a book, all the gory details. And I have to say I've been, I've been treated just the same as before, that there hasn't been a change in how people treat me. I haven't noticed people trying to avoid me. In fact, uh, back in California, I was in church with a buddy with his arm around me the whole time in church. And afterward, many people came up to us and said, we're so glad you're here. We hope you'll come back. So I think the church is changing a lot. I hope that um, there will be a day in the church or out of the church uh, where men might be seen with their arms around each other or even holding hands in public. And there won't be the presumption that it's a sexual relationship. Maybe it is, but there are many relationships that are not. I mean, Go to the Middle East and you'll see, and Italy, you know, men kissing each other. They're not gay. <laughs> not all the men in Italy are gay, <laughs> but they're very affectionate. I think about little kids that naturally hold hands and they don't sure. look at gender. Mm -hmm. And I see them walking to school in our neighborhood. And at some point, most parents, if they see that going on, um, I don't know what the right vocabulary is. And my brain's going to sleep. Politely encourage your kids not to do that. Yeah. It's I, not socially acceptable. And I just think about all these social norms that at times create a needed shame. Mm. <laughs> um, it isn't helpful. 
No. Yeah. I once worried about being a bad example. Um, if I ever, you know, showed any kind of affection in public to a guy. And then I realized, no, I'm not the one who taught the kids to assume there was a sexual relationship. So I'm going to try to show that there can be affection and it's not a sexual thing. Yeah. Uh, more thoughts that come to your mind. We still have time for another segment or two. Wow. I think I've talked your ear off. Um, if you have, for the listeners um, who have a love, loved one that's struggling with God and faith and LGBTQ issues, the things that I've learned just in the last four years um, might be of help for them. I've actually written two books. Um, there's a version, More Than Two Paths obviously has lots of scriptures and general authority quotes, but there's a version called Abundant Paths. Um, that talks about the same principles without the religion. So if you have someone in your life who um, kind of chafes at religion, they can still learn these principles and, and have a satisfying life. You should look at your LGBTQ loved one with confidence that they can have a full, rich, happy, satisfying life. And that's why I wrote these books. We'll link to both books in the show notes, listeners. Um, there's still time for one more segment. Wow. I don't get many people in their 50s that <laughs> can talk so... Cons- I don't want to be critical of other people in their 50s, but you do a good job of getting through a lot of content. Oh, thank you. Well, I can... Um, I don't want to bore you by reading the chapter titles. Um, oh, I think our listeners be interested. Okay. Um, More Than Two Paths has uh, 15 chapters, and then it has an epilogue for family and friends of LGBTQ people, kind of guide them as to um, what to say, how to support them, things like that. And then it also has some appendixes, um, how to come out if you want to come out, and, and whether that is important, and what your objectives might be, um, how to support people in church who are LGBTQ. Uh, but the uh, chapter titles, either or, I have a chapter where I talk about your life is not two choices. If you're gay, your choices aren't live sexually as a gay person and leave the church versus be in the closet. You have many more choices than that. Um, is it all about sex? Uh, is fluidity real? Is mixed orientation marriage a happy option for some? The paradox of sex. Uh, what if I don't have support? How to create deep same-sex connection. The key to lasting same-sex relationships. Authentic identity. The key to happiness. How not to miss out. Covenants and grace. That goes back to my experience on my mission where I learned that when we commit, um, God can give us strength that we didn't have before. It's basically about covenants. Um, What's good about attraction to one's own sex? Great. I'm glad you've written this book and I'm glad we connected. And I think of Elder Cook um, comments here where um, with our all-inclusive doctrine, quote, we can be an oasis of unity and celebrate diversity. Unity and diversity are not opposites. We can achieve greater unity as we foster an atmosphere of inclusion and respect for diversity. So I've talked about this a lot on the podcast. I thought Zion was sameness growing up. And 
everybody being the same and responding, you know, and you help, um, as I think our church is working and Elder Christofferson talked about the doctrine of belonging is helping people belong. And the, the difference, we can completely be unified in the gospel of Jesus Christ and, and have diversity. In fact, that I think it helps us reach others and create a spirit of inclusion when we have people like you in our congregations and serving in elders' quorums and writing books. And so I'm just grateful you're alive. I don't know how dark those years came. I'm grateful you're alive. I'm grateful you're sharing your story. I'm grateful you worked through. And I think it's just a beautiful life story. Thank you, Richard. And you've written multiple books, and we'll link to these two books. So um, this is Carl Beckstead. I'm Richard Osler. Unless there's anything else you'd like to add. No, thank you for letting me share my story. And we'll sign off with another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love.